0: Now, just an initial comment. Made it through the eight o'clock service with medium okay success. So the dress rehearsal has been done, sort of. But that doesn't mean that with me things can't go wrong. Still. So I have trouble with anything electronic. Okay? If I touch it, it's probably going to stop working. All right? So if you can't hear me, do something like will your ears or blow your nose or something like that so I will know that something is up and just you know I'll try okay so anyway about 40 years ago uh, my wife and I were in a little town in Connecticut called Wilcott outside of Waterbury a picturesque little place it was uh, quite a bit dumpier than than it is now uh, but it was picturesque even then and um, our house was one of the orig- first houses in, in wilcott It had been the post office, it had been a general store, it had been a residence, it had been whatever. And it had been finally taken over by the Diocese of Connecticut. And in back of it was a very modern looking little church called All Saints, where I became vicar. And um, they were some of the most wonderful days of our lives. Uh, It was the first time I was alone in a parish, I had been very definitely the low man on the totem pole in uh, my previous and first experience, Uh, but Wilkett was our new adventure and across the green there wasn't much, but there was uh, besides the town hall beside us, across the green there was the congregation of church, including the manse by the Congo church, Uh, with a new family that moved in almost immediately after we got there. I overlapped with the old congregational minister by about, I think, two months. And then bingo, he was gone, and there was a new minister coming in. Well, my wife and the new minister's wife became sisters almost instantly. Uh, And uh, that was the lead-in to both families becoming very, very close and very, very well integrated. Um, they had uh, two older boys who were basically young teenagers at that point. And uh, we had a kid or of some kind or other, we didn't know yet, that was on the way. Um, they also had their youngest child, little girl, who was at that point three or four or five. I'm not <laughs> very good with ages, but she was young. And uh, when our first came along, all of a sudden she had, oh boy, a little brother, a toy to play with, and deal with, and practice her uh, maternal instincts on for a while, and he of course never knew what it meant to be uh, an only child, because he always had somebody hovering around him who was giving him orders. Um, he, He... thought that Sissy was his his older sister for a long time. At any rate, we were truly uh, a wonderful extended family to each other. And there was many a Christmas where the two families uh, spent a good deal of time on Christmas Day together celebrating our common holiday, and our entertainment for the day was always their little daughter, their youngest daughter, who not only had some natural gifts, but she was also very much encouraged by her parents to perform for us. You know, and it started out um, very, very simple, she might have sung I Wish You a Merry Christmas or something like that the first time, but it developed, and it developed, and it developed year to year to the point that uh, she became so infatuated with performing that she actually became a professional entertainer uh, ending up with a a job on the um, oh rats the boat that goes up and down the Mississippi River um, on one of the liners does anyone remember that name because I don't Um, anyway that was her and she was on ocean liners and that sort of thing and uh, she's very good you might even bump into her one of, her, one of these days. Her uh, had a beautiful voice, and her name is uh, Sybil Chamberlain, is what she goes by now. But anyway, she um, still has been involved in theater, and performing, even though now she's married with two kids up in northwestern part of the state. And my wife and I were not only determined to be uh, grandparents in proxy for her own parents who now live down in North Carolina, but continue to be in loco parentis, actually, for her and keep supporting her in her life. She's got, I won't go into it, but there, it's not totally peaches and cream for her right now. She's got some struggles with, with her husband's health and so forth. But she's still our girl, and uh, she has recently become part of one of the uh, theater groups in Connecticut. And we were going to see her perform in adaptation of "Singing in the Rain," which was going to be fun. And we did that just this past week. It was. Um, Those of you who are familiar with performing in theater, maybe this is old hat to you, but to me it was a new experience to go to this kind of presentation because it wasn't Maryland and a stage production of Singing in the Rain. It was like being present for the uh, first or second reading that the cast was doing together. There was nothing on the stage except some chairs and a prop or two, two that I can think of, Um, and a big screen in the background on which pictures were shown. Uh, They are what served as scenery for it. Uh, And the, the members of the cast did have some light costuming on, but it was hardly a full production. The last time I was introduced to that kind of a presentation was when we were in England some years ago, and we went to a review, I think they called it, which is a particularly English um, characteristic of it's kind of like a pub scene on the stage where their performers are doing all sorts of favorite songs which people have been singing for years and everyone knows the words to and the audience is invited to sing along and it's like old times and it was a lot of fun well that's how they did singing in the rain. Uh, even members of the audience are kind of drafted, drafted at the last second to read some simple lines in the production. And since my wife and I were sitting in the front row so we could see our proxy daughter well, um, we were also asked to take a very, very difficult line, like, look, isn't he famous or something like that. Um, it was hard to remember, but we did it. And. Uh, so we were really really enjoying the show and in retrospect it gave me an angle in which I can now approach the whole incident explored in today's gospel lesson about Simon not being there for the big show Uh, not Simon, Thomas not being there for the big show when Jesus showed up The disciples on Easter evening. Remember, the the tomb was found empty on Easter morning, but then Jesus made an appearance to the disciples when they were gathered that evening and showed himself to them and they were excited, but poor old Tom wasn't there. He had missed the boat. Oh dear, is there any hope Is there any hope for someone who has missed the point well maybe maybe not but maybe there is Um, we have all heard someone else or perhaps we have said this ourselves well you know I guess Jesus was a real person and um, there seems to be plenty of evidence that he really got killed off It was a volatile time in the the politics of the Jews. But then again, there's this story about the resurrection that people make a fuss about at Easter. Well, you know, it's kind of blurry. It's not all that tangible. I have a hard time getting my head around it. I'm not so sure that it's true. We're depending on people's say so after all aren't we yes we're depending on people say so who were there <laughs> but it does help to pay attention thomas was there too a week later and it wasn't any hard any easier for him to accept once he saw the real thing wow I still have to... You you want me to do what? You want me to feel your wounds? Phew. That's asking a lot, if this really is you, Jesus. I don't know that I like it. I'd like it to be easier. Well, Thomas's response was somewhat reminiscent, somewhat of an echo of something that was said by some Gentile visitors to the group right before Jesus' ultimate capture by the Romans and crucifixion. Um, they're called Greeks in that passage out of St. John. And it was read, if you were here on the fifth Sunday in Lent, you heard it already. And if you weren't there, well, this is what it was. They come up to one of, two of the disciples and they say, sir, we'd, we'd like to see Jesus. Sir, we'd like to see Jesus. And that caused a little bit of shuffling around on the disciples, because these were Gentiles, you know, and you had to protect the Lord from contagion. Um, So happens that uh, during Holy Week, on the Tuesday of Holy Week, you know, the clergy gather with our bishops to do a uh, reaffirmation of our ordination vows. And Strangely enough, that gospel was the very same one as had been on 5th Sunday in Lent, where the Greeks say, Sir, we wish to see Jesus. And our bishops made some point (laughs) out of expanding on that meaning. Sir, we wish to see Jesus as the desire of almost anyone through the ages first hears about Jesus. Can it be true? Can this be the incarnation of God himself? Can this be in human form the love that is to save the world? Well, I'd like to see that. Sir, we wish to see Jesus. But that kind of sight, is necessary on more than one level. Um, Have you heard of uh, Martin Marty? A lot of you have probably. He's a well-known theologian of the late 20th century. He died uh, in the early part, the very early part of the 21st century. But he's been a a great light for uh, many of us uh, for some time. His son, Peter, uh, is also a practicing Christian and a theologian and an ordained minister and uh, heads up um, the magazine called Christian Century. And Peter Marty wrote an article where he was talking about his experience of calling on the church that he was interested maybe in answering your call there as their pastor it was his first experience it was his Wilkin experience I guess and um, he got to the place and he went up to the front doors and he clicked on the latch and nothing happened and so he tried harder and finally grunk, the doors came open He was not impressed with that as a sign of welcome to the church. (laughs) And he told them so. And they did call him, actually. And he turned out to love that congregation very, very much. But he also made sure that very early in his ministry he insisted that they make the place more accessible. And that was not only in a physical way but in a uh, a symbolic way. Because he said the more... The easier it is to get in, not just the building, but the congregation, the more vital the ministry of that church is doubtless to be. So we had a successful run there, and the people learned a little bit more about being open and being doors, and that's what I wanted to mention now. Jesus said, I am the door. He also said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. He also said in John's gospel, no one comes to the Father but by me. Now those are phrases that are sometimes dropped in our laps as evangelism tools. Well, you want to, you know, bring, bring someone into the church, you want to build up a church, you want to make more Christians, well, you've got to, you know, confront them with these hard sayings in the gospel. And I would say, well, y- yes, but <laughs> there may be a better way because sometimes it comes across as so harsh uh, the point is missed. When I was a little kid, well, not that little, I was in high school, um, <clears throat> I had an introduction to that kind of evangelism and the mother of one of my really close friends. Uh, We used to walk to school together. My house was farther away from school. I'd stop at his house and he'd finish his breakfast and we'd walk the rest of the way to school together. And so I was waiting down in his den uh, one morning while he finished his breakfast up a half flight of stairs and all of a sudden I hear his mother's voice. Now, this is only my prejudice, but she was a native of Chicago and a very harsh Chicago accent which sounded to me like, David! Oh, God. Uh, yes? Have you accepted Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior? And I've oh, God. Um, what's this? I was not brought up that way at all, folks. I, I don't want to denigrate the way I was brought up. Uh, um, I'm no longer in that group. But um, I certainly didn't have that kind of Hmm, in your face understanding of what it means to be a Christian and so I didn't even know how to answer her and I said well I, um, I, 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 I don't know <laughs> oh well you know you have to make it a personal commitment to Jesus Christ and oh Christ I'll talk to my parents about it. Now, my mother was very devout in the tradition I was brought up in. My father hated church anyway. It really didn't matter, you know, to him. Um, As long as I didn't go astray and become a Roman Catholic. At any rate, um, it was one of those things where, frankly, I was put off. And if I had been this generation and not repressed about matters and that sort of stuff, and saying, instead of saying something like, oh, I don't know, I'll talk to my parents, I might have said, mind your own business, you old bat, you know. Uh, And that's the way it comes across to people nowadays. It can be very, very, very offensive. But, even if you want to stick to the good, solid theology, which I would prefer to, that Jesus is the way to the Father, it's not as if there's only... One door to Jesus. This, I don't know how many are here. 40, 50 of you. That means potentially there are 50 doors to Jesus sitting right here now. That's what your baptism was about. Mine too. Equal access to the Lord. And anyone who knows any one of us potentially has equal access to Jesus. And then we can, take, we can let Jesus take over at that point and lead him the rest of the way. We don't have to do all the evangelizing. All we have to do is share what we know of the love of Jesus Christ in our lives a lot easier than making something up, it's a lot easier than getting into an argument with someone on theology. It's about knowing someone you love and loving someone you know. I don't think it was a mistake that uh, the writer of the epistle today, another John, said, uh, this is why I'm writing you folks that my joy may be complete. He knew joy because he knew Christ. He also knew joy because he could share that joy with others who had come to know Christ. The cross was not necessarily undone by the resurrection, for the wounds remained. The cross was gone beyond Into newness of life and what's called life everlasting, life indeed. And potentially, all the doors here know the way in. It's just through our hearts. Why do you believe in Christ? Well, I don't know, you know, He's been good to me. And talk to him in prayer, and you know that sort of stuff. And I feel guided. And oh, oh yeah. Well, I've never seen that. Hmm. Well, can we be friends? Maybe someday. It'll just happen as we're together. Amen.